Whoa. You know, I told Pastor Scott, I said, it might, it might just happen that everybody will forget. And I'll be here with an empty auditorium. <laughs> no such luck. No such luck. <laughs> Uh, today we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 13. But before we do that, why don't we open with a word of prayer, okay, please? Heavenly Father, um, this is your word, and you have given it to us. May we listen, may we apply, may we understand, and may I not get in the way. In your name, amen. In um, Acts chapter 12, sorry, I'm an old guy, I'm blind, I have to be able to read. In Acts chapter 12, we kind of make a transition. Uh, Previously in the book of Acts, the passages have been about what Peter has been doing. And in Acts chapter 12, 12, or 13, I mean, we transition into what Paul is going to be doing for a while. They're kind of parallel pathways. So there's a little bit of overlap here and there, but we're moving into Paul's realm just a little bit. Just a question for you. Have you ever received a phone call from somebody asking for help? <laughs> and, you, and if you're like me, if it's within your area of expertise or your skill set, hey, no problem, I'm right there for you. Let's get down there. Let's go take care of this. But what happens if it's a little bit outside of your realm of expertise? Outside of your comfort zone? Well, you kind of gulp a little bit. I mean, what if it's standing up in front of a whole bunch of people and talking to them? (laughs) Those butterflies come zooming in on your stomach and you get all knotted up. But the issue is, you know, it's the absolute right thing to do. And you say yes before you can shut your mouth. And so you step out in faith to do something that you're uncomfortable with. But you know that it's the right thing to do. And that you should not be uncomfortable because it's the right thing to do. I suspect in this passage of uh, Acts chapter 13, there were quite a few butterflies floating around that group as they were praying together. Let's take a look at um, chapter 13 verses uh, 2 and 3. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. That's Paul. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Roman name. For the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on on them and sent them off. How do you argue with the Holy Spirit? You know? Did the Holy Spirit lay out a detailed plan for him? They say, oh, by the way, Paul and Mission Society, I want you to go from here to here, and here's the planning, and here's a book to read about it. 
No. This was the first time. Yeah, uh, when the persecute, when Paul, Saul then, now Paul, I'm going to do that, sorry. When Saul was persecuting the church in Jerusalem, so he scattered the believers. They ran away to get away from the persecution. They were going to get thrown in jail, wouldn't you? And as they went away, they were so filled with the good news, they couldn't be quiet about it. So word was getting out into the outlying areas about Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and the self. <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know where that came from, and the salvation that he brings. But it wasn't an organized or extensive program of outreach. It wasn't purposeful. But this mission trip, a whole new idea, the whole idea of missions happened right there. The Holy Spirit said, go. And what is really amazing is Paul said, okay, sign me up. I don't know what that means, but I'm going. And off they went. And why did he want to do this? I mean, what precedent did he have? In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, we read, and these are Jesus' words, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So somewhere in his collective time with Jesus, with the apostles who were with Jesus, this kept coming out. Go. The Great Commission. Go. Go preach the good news. Pass it along. And even later, Peter admitted, he said, um, I didn't get it. When Jesus said, if you look at that, it says, Make disciples of all nations. In the vernacular of the day, in their mindset as a Jew, a God-protected um, nation, they were thinking, yeah, okay, we'll go visit the other Jews and other nations. But then when Peter went down to Joppa, he had the vision, the sheet came down with the... Uh, the different animals in it, the foods he wasn't supposed to eat if he was a good Jew. And the Lord said, eat, this is good stuff. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm a good Jew, I can't do that. Eat, this is good stuff. The third time he finally goes, boing, I got it. I got it. It's not just for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles. And Peter says that in um, Acts 10, 34 and 35. And Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him, God-fearing, and does what is right. 
You know, again, that defines faith. The one who fears Him. We'll get into it in a minute. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead in my own little brain. Sorry. But the definition of faith is, is something like this. This is my definition of faith. Humbly submitting yourself to the will of God. And without hum- humility, without humbleness, uh, with <clears throat> excuse me, without submission, you're not going to get there. You don't come to a place of faith without submitting to a higher authority. And Paul responded to the calling of the Holy Spirit by taking action. He didn't know everything that lay ahead of him. He didn't know what was going to happen to him. He didn't exactly know where God wanted him to go, I'm sure. Because he didn't have the little AAA map with all the stops along the way. Okay? And I'm sure there were hundreds of questions. Each one of those butterflies had a question mark on it. You know, no doubt about it. But Paul had faith that the God who created the universe would take care of him. And it would be okay. That's quite the resource to tap into, by the way. And so, but Paul also, you know, he said, he didn't didn't do it alone. He didn't get this grand idea and go out and cowboy his way through it. No. What does the verse say? Again, back to Acts uh, 13, 2 and 3. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit set aside for me. So after they had fasted and prayed about what the Holy Spirit had told them, they placed their hands on, uh, they placed his hands on them and sent them off. That's Barnabas and Paul. It was a group situation. Paul sought godly counsel. He didn't just run off willy-nilly by himself. I can do this. The Lord is my sword. And I'm going to slice my way through it. It doesn't work that way. Because not only did all of them pray together, they collectively got the word from the Holy Spirit that to call Paul and Barnabas. But they collectively then said, yeah, we've prayed about this for a long time now. We have fasted over this. And we really believe this is what the Lord wants you to do. And off they go. And this concept of missions was verified in a group setting. Not just individually, but verified in a group setting. So Paul exercised faith by taking action. For we find out in, um, where did it go? Oh, in James 2.17. There it is. I found it in my notes, finally. In the same way, faith by itself, 
if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Isn't that the wonderful part about the Bible? I mean, this part, James, ties into this part, and Acts, which ties into that part. I mean, how many books do you know do that? You have company manuals that can't tell you how to, you know, move from one typewriter to the, or excuse me, one copy machine to the next, right? Let alone tie history together for hundreds of years in prophecy, and then it comes true. Different authors, different time periods, no physical contact in between. Sorry, little side note. And so, uh, what did this mission look like? Did, was there a, a Billy Graham crusade kind of a thing where the team went out in front of him and hung up billboards and said, Paul is coming. Everybody come and sit the tent at the end of the street. Tuesday night, be there. No, actually. Paul went about his business normally. He did what he normally would. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Just like we are to do what we do normally. We go to the grocery store. We go to, I go to Home Depot a lot. Okay, We go to the bank. We go to Fred Meyer. Is that our mission field? It's what we normally do. And, and an outpouring of God from us is part of that. Now, the Sabbath tradition, when you attend a synagogue, I don't know it very fully, but it's something along the lines of they read from the books of the law, and then they say something, and then they read from the books of prophecy, and then they say something, and then the priest of the synagogue says, anybody have anything to share? (laughs) Guess who had something to share? It would have been Paul. And he stood up and he recapped Jewish history in, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in the most of the rest of the chapter. He recaps Jewish history, which they all knew. They had just read it. They had been brought up in it. And he starts out with the God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during the stay in Egypt with a mighty power. He led them out of this country. The whole Exodus thing he covered in a sentence. Okay? There's a whole book in the Bible about that. But he went through and he recaps. He keeps going through several things. But after removing Saul, now this is King Saul, the first king in Israel, we won't go there. That's a whole other sermon series. But he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Whoa. Paul took that extra step. He went from historical fact that they all believed and knew to be true 
And he moves into CNN news headlines, headline news for the moment. He said, here's Jesus, and uh, guess what? He's the Messiah. He didn't do it quite that quickly, but, but he brought Egypt up out of Egypt. Uh, uh, he brought Egypt. He brought Israel up out of Egypt. They occupied Canaan, which 450 years or something. And then David was raised up. And out of David's lineage would come a Savior. That was prophesied. These are all things they knew. What's interesting, uh, just a little bit, and I'll tie into it in a minute again, is that the Bible, the Old Testament, much of it is was before there was a writing form. So it's an oral history translated it, not translated, but put down in writing later. But that oral history to tradition was based on what? Eyewitness accounts. What better evidence do you get in the court of law, any court, than eyewitness accounts? And that's what this Jewish history was based on, was eyewitness accounts. But Paul moves on and he says, fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and the rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him they fulfilled the words of prophecy, of the, excuse me, the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Oh, today's Sabbath, we just finished reading them. Whoa, prophecy is fulfilled. Though they found no proper ground for death for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written about him, that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Do I get a hallelujah on that? (laughs) And for many days he was seen by those who traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And now, and they are now his witnesses to our people. What did he just refer to? Jesus died, fulfilling prophecy. He rose from the grave, and there are eyewitness accounts of him rising, rising from the grave. These are eyewitness accounts. How do you argue with eyewitness accounts? You don't. So Paul reveals to the synagogue that prophecy has been, what? Revealed. They're going, "Uh oh, this is new, this is different, I'm not so sure. But his deductive reasoning, if it were that, because he was dealing with eyewitness accounts, there was no reasoning involved because it's eyewitness. But if the God who promised stuff before, coming out of Israel, occupying Cana, Canaan, um, it's King David and his lineage. 
then the God who made those promises and carried them out will probably, if he made other promises, carry those out as well. Imagine that, a faithful God. Um, now, of course, when he said this in the synagogue, everybody got pretty excited. Excuse me just a second. I have allergies. Thank you, John. <laughs> Sparing everyone from that. Um, this quite, created quite a stir in the synagogue because this was a departure. They were solely focused and solely based on Old Testament history. Well, of course, the New Testament hadn't yet been written, so it's kind of hard to talk about New Testament at this time, but they were living it out. The book of Acts is a written-down uh, testament to what happened during this time period. Okay? So this uh, CNN News headline news teaser shows up, and they said, okay, we're sitting down now. And everybody went, oh, no, we've got to keep going. So well, I'll come back next week. Uh, catch the late news at 11, we'll fill you in. Okay? And that's kind of what happened there. But, but what happened in that, when that did happen? Well, everybody came to hear. I mean, word spread through the whole community. So this time around, it wasn't just the followers of God, the Jewish folk, the nation of Israel listening. It was everybody in the city showed up to hear what Paul had to say. <clears throat> and Paul revealed to them the complete story as they knew it. And But... Whenever the good news goes out, there's always something, someone, an opposing force. Oh my, who could that be? But that opposing force began to build momentum. And, um, and who did it come from? Where did that opposing force the originators, the, the heartbeat behind the opposers, was, it was the Jewish people themselves and their leadership. Now, some time ago, Pastor Scott uh, brought us a series on, from Mark 16 on the prodigal son. And I think most of you can recall that there was a younger brother who said, Hey, Dad, give me my inheritance. I'm going to go play. But the older son who stayed home, <clears throat> um, was a little upset when the younger brother came back and his dad welcomed him. And the uh, the older brother, what was a rule keeper. He did not allow the concept of the rule the principle behind the rule to sink down into his heart. He just had numbers. Yep, I went to Sabbath. Yep, I didn't hike too far on the Sabbath. I didn't do too much. He had this list of hundreds of things that they were supposed to follow the rules on. So their outward appearance was, I'm a good follower of God. But the inward heart was not submissive. <clears throat> and these religious leaders 
had built their entire world around following rules. That's what they did. And that's what they told everybody else to do. And it worked fairly well for most of the time. But then when, um, in, in, chapter, in verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas answered them when they opposed them in this public meeting. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Who's that? The Jewish nation. The nation of Israel heard the word first in the synagogue. But, I added that, sorry. Since you rejected it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. Oh, my goodness. The wheels fell off the wagon. You know, there's no way. God didn't, God promise us that he was, excuse me, John, can you hit that for a second? My, I'm all snuffled up here. I apologize. Thank you, Thank you John. <clears throat> Thank you, everyone. Um, <clears throat> Where was I? Okay. <laughs> They're bringing this message to the Gentiles. Uh, you know the story of the Good Samaritan? The priest wouldn't even walk on the same side of the road, would avoid them. This is the kind of feelings they had for one another. So things got pretty ugly for a while, but what's interesting is that God... Uh, this was also prophesied, this rejection process. And in Habakkuk uh, 1.5, God is speaking to the nation Israel. And he says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Look at the nations. Not the nation, nations plural. And even if I told you about it, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't accept it. You wouldn't think that it would ever happen because it hadn't happened till now. Well, Paul had broken the rules. Uh, by the way, whose rules? The rules that Jewish leadership had built up over time, like 600 plus things you're not supposed to do, okay, as well as the Ten Commandments. I mean, they weren't sufficient. They had to have 600 more, okay. <clears throat> but it was different than the status quo. Pastor uh, Scott also revealed us from revealed to us from Mark that parable in Mark about the uh, the prodigal son that the religious leaders whom the son represent the elder son represented rejected the father's attempt to approach them and they would not and he would not come in with the father there is a parallel here god prophesied it back in habakkuk other places as well and here it is. The nation of Israel said, you know, this can't be right. 
I cannot accept this. It's been this way for so long that I we got to stick with it. Well, <clears throat> that's not quite how it worked out. And it was all because the rulers were more interested in keeping rules than applying the principle to their heart. Okay? I mean, what are the rules on taxes? It's tax time, right? And do we apply the principle of the taxes or do we apply the letter of the I'm sorry. But that's kind of where you end up with. You end up in a legalistic society when you're applying rules. And it's a kind of a group thing as opposed to an individual thing. When you come to Christ, if you ask Jesus into your heart to be your Savior, that is an individual thing, one person at a time. As a Jewish nation, that was based on heritage initially, but you still had to follow the commandments of God. But that was the outward appearance of following the commandments of God. So further on in the chapter... uh, Paul and Barnabas say in in verse 47, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth, which is, by the way, a uh, prophecy from Isaiah being fulfilled, another prophecy being fulfilled. And what's interesting here is, is Paul's, excuse me, Uh, John, would you catch that again? I'm so sorry. Thank you. I'm sorry. Springtime is wonderful, but my nose runs like the gutters are today, so sorry. Um, Where was it? There are parallel pathways for this. You know, Paul wasn't just out. Paul and Barnabas weren't on this missionary trip saying, well, this is the way it is. This is the way it's got to be. Blah, 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 blah. No. When Peter went down to Joppa, he came back and said, hey, guys, this is what's happening. The Lord revealed this to me. They all conferred together. Not only the disciples, but all those believers. And they passed this word along back in Jerusalem or Antioch, wherever they were located at the time. But amongst the disciples, there were parallel pathways. They were doing the same thing. They had the same, imagine that, they had the same Holy Spirit, they had the same God, and the same commandment to go and teach. Amazingly enough, they did it. And you know what? What this going to the Gentiles thing really meant? It meant that the nation Israel, being a Jew, was no longer an exclusive club. Because to become a Jew, or you were either a Jew by heritage, you had a bloodline that related back to the 12 tribes of Israel. But you could also become a Jew because you could be God-fearing, Yahweh-fearing, and follow and become a Jew. As a matter of fact, just to jump ahead a little bit, how did Abraham become a Jew? 
Who did he follow? Oh, wait a minute. He was the first. And, um, and Abraham, in Genesis 15, 6, we read, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham had faith in God, Yahweh, and it was credited to him as faith. That's how you do it today. That's how Abraham did it then. But people got hung up with rules and family trees and who can you tie to and networking. I don't know what all. I'm glad they didn't have Facebook back then. And so what happened is now each individual is judged not by the rules they keep, or which tribe of Israel their heritage belonged to, but by your, their heart. What is your heart attitude? And Abraham, I mean, he didn't follow the rules of Moses, or the, ten, the, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, the 600. Hey, they hadn't been written yet, right? Remember, he was the first. So it couldn't have happened. But by faith, Abraham It was counted to Abraham for righteousness. Okay? This upset the leadership, obviously, greatly. The religious leadership, greatly. And they followed. I mean, Paul and Barnabas finished up. And they moved on to the next town. Well, these these religious leaders followed them. Paul and Barnabas couldn't get away from them. And they're running in behind them going... Oh no, these guys are bad. They're preaching heresy. You can't listen to them. And they stirred up the crowds. And um, they're heretics because they're not following the rules. And so as Paul and Barnabas moved ahead to each town uh, and preached the good news of salvation, these guys would follow in behind him and say, oh, no, you can't believe that. As a matter of fact, it got so bad that uh, the, uh, the, the naysayers, the religious leaders, stirred up the crowd so much that they incited a riot. And they stoned Paul. Do you know what stoned is? Okay. Some of you younger generation, you may not quite catch it here. So I'm going to deviate just a little bit. Stoned is not getting drunk with alcohol. Stoned is not smoking marijuana in the Old Testament. Stoned is everybody in the crowd picks up a rock and hurls it at you until you are dead. That's what stoned is. They stoned Paul. When they got done, they thought he was dead. They drug him outside the city and said, adios, buddy. But, and the disciples are going, okay, now you're standing around this body going, okay, what are we going to do? Paul gets up. And they go on to the next town. Ooh, that had to hurt. You know, can you imagine, you know, bruise it, being stoned to death, a rock, one rock at a time, and the whole crowd would do it. That way you couldn't blame an individual. It was a community vote system with a rock. <clears throat> so did, uh, did the Holy Spirit tell Paul that this missions trip would be a bed of roses? 
Um, did the Holy Spirit lay out the entire trip for Paul? Said, oh, go here, go there. No. But Paul did do what the Holy Spirit called him to do. Out of an overriding desire to accomplish the high calling of God. And that was the motivation and the driver for Paul. So the question for you is, will you rise to the call of the Holy Spirit the next time there is a call for action? I can't answer that for you. You have to answer that for you because it happens to you individually, specifically, and it never comes at a good time, does it? But the reward is great. For when you go outside your comfort zone, outside your little box that we live, each of us enjoy living in, and you allow God to do something that is more than you are capable of, do you just go, oh yeah, I can do that. Yeah, uh, oh yeah, I got that down. The answer is no. Because at that point, you have to give God the glory. That's why he puts you in those positions. So you have to allow the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. And then you have to ask yourself, are you satisfied with status quo? I show up at church on Sunday and then don't deal with it till next Sunday. Oh, and by the way, how do you know the will of God? Oh, that's about a month's worth of sermon series, but let's just capsulize it very quickly. In John 8, uh, 31, 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. You are truly disciples of mine. That's a New American Standard. Okay. Continue in my word. This, as Pastor Scott last week, this is the guidebook. It's not feelings. It's not independent actions. This is the guidebook. If what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do, no matter what it is, well, if it lines up with what's in this book, then it's okay. And God will carry you through it. He'll give you skills you never knew you had. He'll give you power. And the reward will be great. Because then you stand back and go, praise God. He did it, not me. And that's the way it should work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and um, the connectivity between all the parts and pieces. Help us to recall it at the right time and apply it at the right time. Amen.